Hey, everybody, and welcome to CEO Sit Downs, where I, John Cannell, your host, have sit down conversations with CEOs from all walks and all industries to hear their stories, pick their brains, and learn from their experience. On today's show, I am happy to welcome Tony Fulton. Tony is the founder and owner of Guardian Angels Home Care, a non-medical in-home care service for aging adults and their families. Tony founded the company in 2003, but in the years following, he got involved in Nebraska politics and served as a state legislator for six years. His most recent position, however, has been serving as Nebraska's tax commissioner since 2016. We recorded this episode in early December. Since then, Tony, who is very much an entrepreneur at heart, has resigned as state tax commissioner and has returned to private life where he plans to pursue any number of private sector endeavors. I really enjoyed this conversation as we covered everything from Tony's early internet businesses to his political career to Nebraska's property tax problem and much more. Moreover, Tony's from my corner of the world, Southeast Nebraska, so it was great to talk to someone with a small town story. In short, it's an episode you won't want to miss. So, without further ado, I invite you to pull up a chair and listen in to my conversation with Tony Fulton. Hello, Tony. Welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, for starters, Tony, go ahead and give us an idea of your background. I know you've been involved with a multitude of different aspects of the business world, but kind of walk us through your business journey and uh, give us some kind, of, some kind of idea of how you got where you are now. Okay. Well, um, I, I'll just, my background, my training is uh, mechanical engineering. So my bachelor's degree, I received a bachelor's from uh, the University of Nebraska in mechanical engineering. And that's really how I'm wired. <laughs> Even the language gives that away. Um, I also spent some time in the seminary and that's important to point out because that really uh, has informed, I guess, the insight with which I look at things. So what that means for uh, folks who may not know, um, I studied philosophy and theology. So it would have been the equivalent of a bachelor's degree in philosophy and a master's in theology. And uh, that's somewhat important because later on in my life, I ended up um, being a senator for Nebraska, state senator for the state of Nebraska. And um, my interest in law and policy probably was uh, formed um, in that time when I was uh, studying philosophy and you know, different philosophies and uh, that time in the seminary. So that's, that's where much of my uh, my formative time or my collegiate years uh, were. Um, after that, uh, I worked as an engineer because I needed money. I grew up poor, so that's one of the reasons I became an engineer. I was convinced that engineers make all the money, which I've come to learn isn't uh, necessarily true. But uh, so I worked in engineering, and uh, I point this part of the history out because it's pretty cool. I worked in what's called heat recovery steam generators. So it was a manufacturer of large heat recovery boilers. That's pretty important because we were actually uh, oh, concerned with the capture, recovery, and re-utilization uh, of heat from combustion gas turbines 
And that was well before there was any concern about the climate or, or at least at the level that exists today. And in doing that, I did that for four years, uh, designed heat recovery steam generator, uh, generators and heat recovery systems. I actually got to design the heat recovery system at the Kuala Lumpur, uh, the Petronas Twin Towers in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, which at the time was the largest building on the planet. Uh, oh. And I did that all from Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, 2000, you know, early 2000s, somewhere in there, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, so remote working is a big deal today. Uh, wasn't a big deal back then. I actually designed that heat recovery system. So that's pretty cool. I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, but uh, you know, beyond that, I've started companies. Uh, I have started an internet company and couple internet companies. I've got a company called Guardian Angels Home Care that I started in 2003. And we help our uh, beloved elderly clients to remain at home by providing personal caregiver to assist them with everyday tasks. Started that St. Patrick's Day of 2003. And that company continues uh, to operate. Uh, I still own it. And um, just a labor of love. And really, I think was a calling, a vocation from God to, to serve. So I've done that. Um, like I said, I was a state senator. Uh, I currently serve as Nebraska's tax commissioner. I've done that for the past um, six, seven years, something like that. Uh, governor Ricketts asked, asked me to do that. Um, we have a new governor coming in. Uh, Jim Pillins, the governor-elect. And I've already informed him that I plan to go back to being normal. <laughs> so um, he'll have to find another tax commissioner. And as we are recording this, we're, you know, um, still in the process. This is uh, uh, middle, middle of December and uh, the governor still hasn't been sworn in. Governor-elect Pillen hasn't been sworn in yet. So there's a lot of things still up in the air. But my plan is to eventually be uh, normal again return to guardian angels, return to a board service. I served on a, a lot of boards. It's like a dozen or 13 or something like that. Different uh, corporate boards and nonprofit boards. Um, yeah, I just, I should stop there. I just, I've done a lot <laughs> of different things uh, in my business past and in, in politics and in education. I have a lot of interests, a lot of energy. And that's part of the reason why I want to get back into the private sector, because there are a lot of companies that uh, don't yet exist that will exist after I get my teeth into them. <laughs> sure. So re really quick, because there's a lot to unpack there, Tony. But when you sit down with Governor-elect Pillen and, um, you know, say say that you're not going to be tax commissioner anymore, what, what things are you giving him to look for in the new tax commissioner? Or what would you like to see in a tax commissioner? Mm. Well, not a lot of people know what the tax commissioner is for a state. Uh, and different states have different terms. I think most of them call up the tax commissioner. In Nebraska, the tax commissioner's position is a constitutional office. So it's created by the constitution. There aren't many of those. So the governor, uh, the lieutenant governor, the treasury, the uh, treasurer, the secretary of state, the attorney general, those are constitutional offices for which we hold an election. The tax commissioner is an appointed position, uh, but it's created by the constitution. And the tax commissioner has to exist for the state of Nebraska to be able to uh, collect revenue to do the functions of state government. So uh, it's a pretty important position. Uh, 
you know, ultimately the, the importance of the tax commissioner, he or she needs to have some background in the law. So that's important. Um, obviously has to have some, uh, what the word would be, um, has to have some ability with math because <laughs> you know, that should be obvious. Um, accountants uh, have held this position in the past. Tax attorneys have held the position in the past. Um, I am the first engineer and probably the only engineer to have held or ever hold the position. Uh, but my advice to uh, Governor-elect Pillen really is to find someone that you can trust and who will do a good job with a pretty important function for the state. Uh, the, the position acts as, um, it's not a title, but uh, functionally, uh, it's an organization of about 400 people. Uh, the tax commissioner runs the Nebraska Lottery, uh, Nebraska Charitable Gaming. So I, I can't participate in um, you know, my my kids' high school and grade school have raffles and things like that. I can't participate in those because tax commissioner is responsible for um, regulating all of those. Um, you know, mixed martial arts, combat sports, boxing that falls under the athletic commission. That also falls under the Department of Revenue, which falls under the tax commissioner. And there are just a lot of responsibilities, about 400 people. So this person also should have some background in process improvement and uh, Lean Six Sigma, something that we've implemented here during uh, Governor Ricketts' tenure. That's pretty important too, in my opinion. Um, so these are the types of things that I've shared with Governor-elect Pillen, and ultimately, ultimately it's his appointment. So he uh, is responsible for appointing the next tax commissioner. Sure. Um, tell me more, though, Tony, kind of rewinding in the background that you gave about those early Internet startups. What was the thesis behind those <laughs> ideas? How did it go? I mean, because correct me if I'm wrong, that would have kind of been in the Wild West days of the Internet. There really wasn't much of a roadmap. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, well, there were a couple. One of them failed, which uh, at the time it was embarrassing. But in hindsight, that's how you that's how you stretch I and mean, you got to fail. Um, the company was called Veraclaims and this would have been, it was the late nineties, so 98 or so. Um, it was called Veraclaims, V-E-R-I-C-L-A-I-M-S. And what happened was there two of our two friends, uh, well, four friends total, two of them uh, came to two of us to uh, file dental insurance claims on the internet. And so, uh, we put up the money, uh, a couple of us put up the money, the other two put up uh, the coding and uh, came up with basically a, a program that allowed dentists to file their insurance claims over the internet. And this is before anyone was doing this. And you know, long story short, we undercapitalized. We didn't know, I was young. I was just out of college, like maybe a year out of college. And um, you know, with no offense meant to new college graduates, but I'll just say that Tony Fulton didn't know anything. <laughs> we should have we should have got out and got more capital than we did. Uh, what ended up happening was within about a year, year and a half, another company did the same thing that we did, and they ended up doing really well. And obviously now it, this is that's the way things are done now. Um, but yeah, we gave that a roll back in the late '90s, and um, and. You know, grand thought about how it should go, and uh, just didn't get it to work. 
So that was one. Um, there was another one I did, and I just started this just because I had the experience, this experiential knowledge of having received my diploma. Okay. And actually it was my diploma. This was my PE licensure. So in the engineering world, you get your bachelor's degree, you have to spend a certain amount of time working, uh, uh, gaining experience as an engineer. And then you can take what's called the fundamentals of engineering exam. And then you can take what's called the PE, the professional engineers exam. Uh, it's a professional designation similar to the CPA for accountants or um, there, I'm sure there are others. So, uh, Needless to say, that's a pretty hard test. <laughs> um, I studied for it, prepared for it, took the test. And when I received in the mail what I knew to be the results of my test from the Nebraska Board of Engineers and Architects, I sat there and was opening it um, in my home. I remember doing it. And I don't think my hands were shaking, but they were close to shaking. I was just nervous about, you know, I've just spent, you know, eight years of my life and a great deal of energy invested into this venture, did I pass? And okay, I passed, I got it. And oh my gosh. And, and then it just struck me that how much pain and sorrow went into this little piece of paper that set my heart at ease and uh, validated the past eight years of my life. <laughs> so much invested into that little piece of paper. So I came up with this idea that I would sell pieces of paper to represent major milestones in people's lives. And I called it life degrees. I went out and got a website. I coded the website all myself. I, in engineers, we had to code everything ourselves. So I just, I knew how to, I, code came to me because of engineering. So back then I, uh, it wasn't probably as hard as it is today, but I coded up this website called lifedegrees.com and I was selling uh, a little piece of paper that represented a diploma for, you know, if some, if a lady got married, she would receive the MRS degree. It's kind of tongue in cheek, a joke, you know? Um, and if you got, uh, if you bought a new home, this would, could be used as a housewarming gift. You give them the PhD, the proud homeowner's degree. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're kind of stupid when I think about it in, in hindsight, but people bought them. So I was, I would, I bought the little vinyl covers. I got a supplier that got the vinyl covers that had life degrees and the logo and, and it represented a college diploma. Okay. And it, you know, I did it all up to, to be like a college diploma, only clearly what these weren't college diplomas. And I'd sold them for, I don't remember what it was like 20 bucks or something like that. $15. I don't remember. Um, but I sold, it wasn't thousands of them, but hundreds of them. And obviously it was a side gig. And, you know, if I would have put some money into it and really pursued it, um, you know, I just, I often hear of the star registry, this, the, the company that's selling, you can name a star after so-and-so. And, and those things are always good Valentine's day gifts or Christmas gifts. And they're just creative little ideas that really capture, uh, the thought more than anything. I often hear that on the radio and think to myself, you know, I should have, I should have pushed that life degrees thing more. It was quirky, but people, they paid for it. It's only 20 bucks to give someone a proud homeowner's degree. So that one didn't fail. I just, it just went away because I took other interests. Um, that was probably about 2000, I don't know, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. 
And that's about the time I started to get interested in politics, or I had been interested in politics, but I started to do stuff about it. Um, I started my own company, Guardian Angels, that was a bigger endeavor about that time. So the life degrees thing just went away because I just got, you know, my gaze went elsewhere. So those are the two internet, my, my, my infamous internet experience. No, that's great. I love it. But I'm curious, when you talk about receiving payments for those life degrees in the early 2000s, were they paying online with credit card? What was the PayPal. process like? PayPal. Okay. I used PayPal. In fact, my PayPal account, I still have the PayPal account. It still has that title, life degrees attached to it. I've tried to get rid of it. I've tried to like, you know, personalize it, but there's something in PayPal that won't let that go away. But that's how I did it. I used PayPal way back in the day. I really didn't market it. It just showed up in search engines. I, I started to get into SEO, um, you know, near the end of the time at Life Degrees. And the algorithm wasn't that complicated that Google used back in the day because I could get to the top of the rankings with just using meta tags and keywords and some other little, you know, tricks I was doing with my website. Um, but yeah, that was a long time ago. And uh, yeah, it was it was PayPal. That's exclusively how I did it. Yeah. Well, in that same vein is like the stars, the people who are buying stars for their loved ones. I've lately seen ads for um, little plots of land you can buy in Scotland. That way you oh, yeah. can be an official lord or lady. Um, kind of, once again, a quirky thing, like, you know, it really doesn't have much weight, but it is kind of comical. Um, so you that's have what a product that together. someone's willing to pay for, um, might as well do it. And this is one of these deals where at the beginning, I, I thought, you know, this is uh, something I can give to my friends. And um, and I did do that. But then it just, I don't know, took off. People from all over the country. I, didn't, I don't think I ever had anyone outside the United States do one. I'm pretty sure about that. But anyway. Did you, ever, did you ever spend against ads for it outside of like the SEO stuff? Did you ever actually market it? You didn't? No. No, I didn't know. I so saw I'm an engineer, you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know anything about marketing or advertising. I learned a lot of that stuff really through politics and guardian angels home care. Um, I'd love to go back and, you know, go back and redo it and do yeah. life degrees again. I probably would be a different outcome, but this, um, such was not the will of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but let, let's, let's, uh, go back to where we took off tony tell me about how you got interested in politics how you became a state senator from there and just how that all progressed okay um so this was probably there were two things and obviously i wasn't attentive to how i became interested i just did stuff and uh, after i became a senator then i got asked these questions in interviews and so you know, I'd love to go back and redo it because I would write stuff down and, and memorialize things. I didn't do that, but uh, really there were two things that uh, just in hindsight that got me motivated. It was uh, taxes and pro-life. Those were the two um, issues that got me interested in politics. And that would have been, you know, about the time I graduated. So I, I remember getting my first paycheck so again, I, I grew up poor, and so money was was a really big deal. Um, and so when I graduated, I had to get a job right away. And uh, so I took the job, and I got my first paycheck. And I remember getting the paycheck, and I knew what the salary was. This is the first job where I got a salary, okay? 
And so the salary, I think it was $36,000, which for engineers, you know, engineers, they do a lot better than that these days. But back then, like I said, I wanted the job. So I took it and, you know, 36,000 divided by 26 pay periods equals a certain amount of money. That's what I was expecting to see in my paycheck. Very important to me. So I need, again, I needed money. Um, and it, that's not what my paycheck was for. Okay. My paycheck was for something less because you know, your employer takes out income taxes with, through, through the withholding tax. Um, you get taxes held out, social security and Medicare and these other things. You know, I, I knew that obviously I, I had done lots of hourly jobs before that. I worked in a grocery store and I walked beans and I detasked of corn and I, I, I'd done all kinds of things where I earned a paycheck, but this was the first salaried paycheck. So I was expecting to see X and I got something less than X. And I asked one of my colleagues, you know, what's up with the paychecks? Why is it? And he's, you know, are you serious? You got to have taxes held out of this. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. I, I knew that. I knew that. Uh, but I remember that because it caused me to, it, I looked, I looked at how much was being held out of my check due to taxes. And you know, that again, it's a, I think it's just my wiring, you know, that does not compute. Why do you need that much? Because if you take that times all the people who are working in Nebraska or in the United States, you're getting billions and bills. Why do you need that? So, I mean, this is what, um, I know, again, that sounds so quirky, but that's that's how I got interested in taxes because it became real to me. <laughs> I'm now paying taxes. I should probably be attentive to how that money's getting spent. So that was one thing. Um, and, then, and then the pro-life issue was another thing. Uh, as I come to learn what, you know, what abortion is and how it affects, um, obviously affects the unborn child, but how it affects uh, the mom. Uh, who will go in for an abortion or the the dad who's it affects a lot of people and i just uh i wanted to address it from a public policy standpoint and that's what that's what we do in politics in our country thankfully we can still do that so those two things uh really got me interested in politics and this is like late 90s early 2000s somewhere in there uh so yeah it'd be late 90s because my first i worked at uh eri the hr the heat recovery steam generator company that was 1997 i was something like that long long ago but uh to me it seems like not that long ago so so from there did you organize your own campaign to get you know on the legislature floor what was that process what was the what was the route you took to do that because i mean that's certainly a different different uh kind of avenue that many folks would take today with digital ads and all that how did you go about it yeah so uh this is I started to volunteer for other people's campaigns, basically. Sure. Um, you know, I got behind folks that were pro-life and um, were interested in, uh, I won't just say cutting taxes because there are some folks who that, that wasn't their thing. I mean, I this would be a scandal to many people because I think I'm prominently known in Nebraska as being a Republican. <laughs> and that's true. I'm very much uh, a Republican. Um, but back then I didn't, I didn't care. You just had to be pro-life and want to reduce spending so that we could provide tax relief. And uh, back then, Democrats did that too. Uh, there's a fellow named Jerry Shoecraft who, um, God bless Jerry, I, he was great. And I got behind, I helped him. I ran or, or I uh, volunteered to uh, be on his campaign. I went door to door for the guy. So I did that for um, a number of candidates. I, you know, I'm half dozen, a dozen candidates 
because there are lots of people who run for office. They need to have ground troops. They need to have volunteers. <clears throat> and if there are people who um, represented the values that I supported, I volunteered for their campaigns. So I, I did that a lot. Um, again, like I said, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, a friend of mine ran for the Board of Regents, which is the governing body for the University of Nebraska uh, system here in the state of Nebraska. Um, he ran for that seat and I was his campaign manager. And that was a function of, <clears throat> of um, it being a, you know, he didn't have any money. So every dollar that he raised, he put into the campaign. And uh, he asked if I would be his campaign manager. And I'd never done that before, but I'd volunteered on a ton of campaigns. And so what I learned is that um, engineers are pretty well suited for the numerics of political science. And uh, he didn't win that race. It was a, it was a recount. It was like 0. 0.0 some percent. It was like 20 some votes separated or 40 wow. votes. I don't remember now, but crazy. And no one expected that this uh, fellow was going to win. The fellow who ended up winning was very well respected. And incidentally, I thought did a pretty good job. We just disagreed with him on, uh, on one particular issue. But regardless, that's how, that's how I got into it a little more. I, I managed a guy's campaign that turned out to be uh, really well done, even though he wasn't successful. And so then I started to get asked, other people asked me, hey, would you run my campaign? Or would you do this for my campaign and what have you? So I got into media buys. So I've done, I did media buying for, I don't know, probably six, seven years, eight years. And I did that for, for political campaigns, for ballot initiatives, for nonprofits. I just did that because it's, it's, there's a lot of math. There's a little behavioral psychology, behavioral intuition that one has to know. And that's, that's politics. Um, like I said, I've done a lot of different things. So I did that for a period of time for campaigns. Yeah. I, it, it all started because I was interested and um, I kind of had enough. <laughs> and so I started volunteering. Um, it eventually bourgeoned into me envisioning myself as someone who actually could serve in public office. Up until then, it was just the farthest thing from my mind. Again, I grew up with not a lot of money and people who wear suits and ties really intimidated me because they're very important and I'm just me, you know? Um, but after I'd volunteered for a number of these campaigns and a number of them won, they, they won their seats, um, then they became elected officials. And wait a minute. I know that. I know that guy. He's making big decisions. You know, he's he's not any different than me or she's not any brighter or more insightful or, you know, they're just people, which incidentally, I've come to learn now. I'm, I'm now 50 years old. That is the, that's the genius of self-governance is that, is that everyone has intellect and will. Everyone has volition. And it is volition that governs our, that governs us. Whether that volition comes from um, a sovereign, a king, you know, a regent, what have you, or it comes from an elected senator or congressman or president, what have you. That's something every human being has, poor, rich, or anything. And the founders, I don't know if they envisioned that, but they had to have at least indirectly. That is the glory of our system. And so I realized these are, these are deeper thoughts that I'm having at this time in my life. And again, remember I studied 
engineering, but I also studied philosophy and theology, learning how to think uh, and see different viewpoints. People who I disagree with, well, why do they see the world this way? That's what philosophy is, is to see the different philosophies. I love that. Um, and so I realize that the people who are serving are fundamentally no different than me. And, and experiencing that, I think, is really what gave me the courage to say, wait a minute, I can do this. And what's more, I think I can do better. You know, and that that could just be conceit because, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there are lots of people who would say, oh, Fulton, you didn't do better. And, you know, and again, that's up in the we all get a vote. That's why we. Um, but after a little while doing this, I just thought that I could do better. And so um, I started to get the idea probably around 2005, 2006. I've been doing it now for four or five years that I could do this, too. So yes, probably about that time I said, you know, I'm going to try to do this. And so that was, it was an 06 and, um, there was an appointment that came open. So it was the legislature, legislative district 29, governor Dave Heineman was the governor. Mike Foley was our state Senator. And I had helped Mike get elected and volunteered on his campaigns. And, uh, to this day, very much, he, he's a close friend. And I very much respect him, a man of great integrity. Um, he ran for state auditor. He was elected. That means he vacated his state senator seat. So it's an open seat. The governor appointed someone. And so I threw my name in the hat. I said, hey, I can do this. And what's more, this is probably what distinguished me from the others. There are a lot of people who applied. I said, um, I can do this. I want to do this. And if you don't appoint me, I'm going to beat whoever it is that you appoint. Because <laughs> I've figured this politics thing out. You know, and again, I'm kind of embarrassed to say it, but that's, I mean, that was my message. That's what I said. Um, yeah. And so I ended up getting appointed. He appointed me to the legislature and then I did have to run for the seat, um, you know, immediately after. So you, you get the appointment for two years and you got to run and, uh, ran against a really well-established, well-known, well-reputed, um, someone who I held in and still hold in high regard, a gal named Susan Scott. Um, she was a formidable opponent and we, you know, we managed to win that. And so, and I was an elected state senator. So that, that's the story of how I got into elected office. And there you go. <laughs> so in total, how long were you in the legislature then? Uh, six years. And that's another story. I won't go into it too much. But um, the two years for which I was appointed, there were two interpretations as to whether that en encompassed an entire term. So a term in office generally is four years. But I was appointed to finish out the term that Senator Foley had been elected for. And so does that count as a term or not? Uh, the Secretary of State at the time, John Gale, had the opinion that it counted as one term, so then I should only get four more. So that'd be six years total. The Attorney General's office, we asked for an opinion. The Attorney General said that the way this lays out, that that is not a full term. You could run for uh, your own four-year term, and then serve four more, which would be 10 years in total. So there was a dispute, and um, there was speculation in the media as to whether I would file a lawsuit to continue serving, because I had run for uh, another statewide office. I was ambitious. I mean, that, that much was clear. I wanted to keep climbing and see how high I could serve. Um, I'd run for state treasurer and lost, and so the idea was that 
ah, well, Fulton's going to level a court challenge to be able to continue serving as a state senator. That keeps him in the game longer. And, you know, that that's what was being said in the media. And, um, you know, I thought about it. And at the end of the day, I could not bring, and I had funders. There are people who are willing to uh, fund a lawsuit because this is an open, it was an open question in the state of Nebraska, what constitutes a term. And ultimately I made the decision that I wasn't going to file the lawsuit because it cost tens of thousands of dollars, if not maybe more. And ultimately it was for a $12,000 a year job for which there are a number of qualified people who could serve. So that's the way I looked at it that, you know, there are other people who could serve. It's not the end of the world. If I just stop being a Senator, um, I didn't sign up to do that. This isn't a career thing. So it, people may not be aware in Nebraska, we pay our senators $12,000 a year to serve as state senators. And I had a family, I, so I needed to have an income. Um, and that's, that's pretty hard to make it work being a state senator. And so um, ultimately I decided, you know, I should hand this off. There are other people who are willing to be the senator who will do a good job. So I didn't bring the lawsuit. And what happened was later on the legislature brought it, um, they passed a bill that clarified um, what constitutes a term. So I know I said I wasn't going to go into that, but it, that's actually pretty important because it, it became a matter of law for the state of Nebraska. So it ended up being six years for me, and but technically two terms. Men, is it time to stop mindlessly scrolling? Time to finally gain that higher quality of life you know you're missing out on? If this sounds familiar, then on January 9th, join thousands of men from all over the world to embark on a 90-day journey together in search of a better life. It's called Exodus 90, and it's built to help men enjoy the freedom of becoming who they were truly made to be. Exodus 90 guides you in removing the attachments that are holding you back from a better life, and it actually works. Independent research shows that Exodus 90 men report considerable shifts after the first 90 days, including stronger satisfaction rates in their marriages, more meaningful prayer lives, and a dramatic decrease in the time spent on their phones. For the past seven years, Exodus has helped more than 60,000 men build a roadmap for living with virtue in a culture that offers far too many paths to self-destruction. I'm one of those men, and I can tell you from my own experience, it works. It all kicks off on January 9th. To find more resources to prepare for Exodus, go to exodus90.com, exodus90.com. Now let's get back to the conversation. But let's let's pivot now. I want to talk more about guardian angels. Kind of walk us through from the genesis of that original idea to how you got it off the ground and where it stands today. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can tell I got I have a little of the entrepreneurial bug in me. Um, at the time, I was um, an engineer and I was working. I had gone to so I had yeah. There's an, a startup company that uh, recruited me away from my original um, heat recovery steam generator company that I worked for. I really loved that job. I, I, to this day, I like that the math and physics behind it. But a startup company recruited me away. Uh, so I went and I did that for a period of time. And it was like just months before 9-11, the tragedy uh, in the World Trade Center uh, in New York happened. And that just crushed a lot of markets, including the energy market. Uh, not long after that, Enron 
people may remember the Enron debacle, that pretty much crushed the uh, oil and gas market, particularly natural gas market. So that's what I worked in. And so that startup that I went to went away and I was uh, watching. So I had worked with a number of engineers at Enron, a lot of projects I'd worked on with people at Enron. And here I was, you know, 20 some years old, new engineer, um, watching people, you know, more seasoned engineers, 50, 60 years old, who lost everything. And they had their retirement wrapped up in Enron, as well as their job, their whole livelihood, everything got reduced to zero. That was a shock to me. So I saw that I experienced a startup that was very promising and we were doing very well right off the bat. And then it just, it went away just like that. I saw how fleeting corporate America could be. Those of us who are working, um, yeah, how do I say it? I don't want to give the impression that I hate corporate America. That's not even close to true. I, I mean, I'm part of it uh, or was part of it. Um, it. It's pretty easy to get kicked to the side if you're a worker. So watching 60 year old engineers uh, lose everything, that was a shock to me. And so I got it in my mind before my kids get to be much older. So at the time we had three kids twin boys and then bead came along. So in 2001, our mutual friend or my son, your friend. Um, yeah, sometime around there, I got it in my mind that, you know, so this is about 2002, 2003. Um, I need to, I need to do something that I have control of because I am responsible for this family and I can't trust, uh, corporate, corporate guy X, corporate guy Y, corporate guy Z. Um, I can't trust them because I've seen what happens when that, okay. So that's, and I'm not, again, I'm young at this point. I'm not necessarily saying that's always true because I've met a lot of people in corporate America who are wonderful. I've also met a number of them who suck. So it's just like everything else, but at least that's what was informing me at the time. I got to do something. And if I'm going to do something, it's got to be done now before my kids get much older. That was the genesis of Guardian Angels Home Care. I had probably three, four pages of ideas that I had been writing down over the years because that's, again, I just, it's a disease. I've got all these ideas, you know? Um, and so I went down the list of ideas and I still have that list, by the way, it's, it's a lot more than three pages long. I still have that list. Um, I sat down one night and went through all of those ideas and I basically went through a risk reward pro profile on each of the ideas, which one has the highest likelihood of success. Okay. And the least likelihood of failure. And at the time I had been attentive to the demographic challenge that faced the United States, that faced the world and faces the world. <laughs> As it turns out, macroeconomics are a function of demographics. And I, that may be another time we can go into that. I didn't know that at the time, but I did know we had a demographic problem. The baby boomers were aging. There's going to be a lot more of them. And so that ultimately is why I decided to do Guardian Angels Home Care as opposed to three more pages of ideas. Because that's one, if you can get it to work in the early years, it's only going to grow. At least that's what I thought. Because of the burgeoning number of people who will need this kind of service. So 
that that's that's what ultimately happened. I chose that one out of the pages of ideas. Um, I researched it. I learned about the industry. Obviously, zero experience in the industry. Um, you know, long story short, I ended up doing it. March of 2003, I kicked it off. I actually quit my job to do it. That's amazing. Now, tell me more, because in, in preparing for our conversation today, I, I went to Guardian Angels' website and whatnot. Now, the list of requirements you have for the people who work for you is pretty thorough. Um, it's pretty in-depth. Go ahead and give us an idea of what those people who are going into the homes of the elderly folks that you serve, give us an idea of what they're doing, what's expected of them, and how the overall business model works there. Yeah. Um, it's still the same structure and design that I set up back in 2003. Obviously, it's matured a lot since then, but structurally, um, there's a need for clients. Obviously, you have to have someone that's paying for your service, or you have to have someone who um, needs your service enough that they're willing to pay you for it. And then you have to deliver the service, and that's that's our caregivers. And so that's uh, that's pretty important. We're, we're sending our employees into the homes of people who are in a vulnerable situation. And so, uh, you know, in the beginning, I, I didn't know anything. And so I did a lot of the work myself, but there's one of me. And in order to make this work, you're going to have to have a lot of clients. Um, so I, you know, I, oh boy, I'm gonna have to come up with systems to get other people to go in there and represent me. And so that's how I, that's how I thought through, well, who would I, who, who will I send in? How will I screen those people? How can I guarantee to our clients and our families that these people are uh, going to do well by them? I mean, that's ultimately what, uh, what informed me. And again, that comes back to philosophy. Then the philosophy took shape in the form of processes and, um, and structurally in our procedures that we put together. Um, I did join a company, a, a membership company called the Seniors Choice. Other companies around the country who are doing similar work, we just networked basically is what the Seniors Choice, it's a, it's a network of, uh, of like situated companies. So I was able to bounce some ideas off of them that helped immensely. And I'm still a member of that network, by the way, even today, probably don't need to be, but, but we kind of do need to be in, in that we're, connected to other companies like ours. Um, yeah, so it was thinking about it, developing a philosophy that governs and directs and guides. Uh, the mission statement for the company was uh, we were trying to build a culture of life by recognizing the inherent dignity of the human person in our work. And that remains a mission today for the company. That mission informs a structure by which you can make policies and procedures to run an entire company. And that, that served me well doing that for Guardian Angels Home Care because now I've done it for, you know, bigger, much bigger uh, organizations. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's how, that's, that's the story there for Guardian Angels. And how big is Guardian Angels today? Yeah. Um, let's see, I think we're, we're just under, it's about 100. That's generally what I tell people. It's a little less than that. About 100 clients, uh, about 100 uh, caregivers, employees of Guardian Angels. Uh, they, you know, they work part-time hours, so they're very flexible. 
schedules because that's what is required to get the workforce uh, together to be able to service 100 different clients. So they're all virtually all of our caregivers uh, work part-time schedules. So the FTE there is probably 20, 25, something like that. FTEs. For, yeah, give give the folks who are listening idea what FTE means, if you would. Um, full-time equivalents. So the number of hours that we work in order to service our 100 clients equals X, X divided by 2080, because 2080 is how many hours are in a work year. If you work eight hours a day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, it comes out to be 2080. So as I said, engineering helps, math helps. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what a full-time equivalent is. It's the number of hours divided by 2080. So, yeah, there, thereabouts. I, I'm not being exact here because I haven't run the company since I've been the tax commissioner. Another story. Um, someone runs the company for me. I keep ownership, but I can't be in the company. So I, these numbers are are approximate, but that gives you a sense. About 100 uh, persons servicing 100 persons. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take a quick minute here to remind you that if you know any CEOs who would make great guests on my show, send me an email at john at ceositdowns.com. I am always on the hunt for great guests, so if you know anyone, please send them my way. I'd love to have them on. Again, you can reach me at john at ceositdowns.com. Now let's get back to the conversation. Back to the tax commission, commissioner portion of your life, if you will. There's a lot of portions. Um, but, you know, we often hear property tax. It's heavily debated in every election cycle. Um, I mean, every farmer probably sits around his dining room table complaining about it. Tell me what you think is the root issue, how you would go about it, just your overall thoughts on the matter. Sure. Um I've had the opportunity to work on this as a senator. And so for people to be clear, the tax commissioner is, while it's a constitutional office, it is an executive branch office. Tax commissioner does not get to make the law. In fact, I'm a law enforcement officer and the person who will come after me, that, that they're law enforcement. So uh, we look at the law, we apply it, we enforce it. So when I first became tax commissioner, Many friends asked, hey, can you, can you zero out my taxes? <laughs> and, and I think some of them were serious, <laughs> but the, the response is no. In fact, you probably shouldn't be asking. I'm the last person you should be asking that. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty important that the tax commissioner shoots straight and follows the law. And so that's one of the things I've done here is put in place procedures to make sure that the next person um, has to be honest. So <laughs> this is in the future, whoever's watching this, those procedures are in there for everyone's good, whoever this tax commissioner is. Um, but that's, I felt pretty strongly about that. So uh, property taxes, I, I dealt with it as a state senator and something we did back then in hindsight um, could have been better. I won't say it was a mistake. It was not a mistake. It could have been better. And, and I want to also uh, put out a, um, Oh, a disclaimer that this is my opinion alone and shouldn't be used to represent uh, anyone else's, senators or governors or anyone else, just my own opinion. Uh, we put money into what's called the Property Tax Credit Relief Fund. And so I won't be technical about it. Basically, uh, the state will pay a certain amount of your property tax bill for you. Okay. 
Now, um, at the time, that was it was part of the largest tax relief package in history. This is 2008, I believe, is when we did 2007 or 2008. I think it was 2007, maybe. And remember why I ran for office was to get in and, you know, lower the tax burden. In addition to pro-life things, the tax burden was a big deal. So we did this, and um, I think it was probably one of the reasons I was able to be elected or re-elected, I guess, after I was appointed, because um, I worked so hard on that. So that is paying, writing a check for the property taxes incurred, at least a, a portion, a small portion of the property taxes incurred. By way of policy, that does not address the underlying cause of that property tax, okay? The cause of the property tax is a need to fund certain things. The property taxes fund city government, county governments, city governments, county governments, um, NRDs, community colleges, and about two-thirds of it funds our public schools. So whatever school district you're in, about, about depending on where you are, about two-thirds of the property taxes you pay are necessitated because of the public schools. Okay, So when you write a check for everyone's property tax burden or a portion of the property tax burden, that doesn't address the spending that necessitated the need for property taxes. So by passing our policy, by passing the law that we did back in 2007, we were addressing the property tax burden, but we weren't addressing the underlying cause. Um, that's something that, uh, it, that well, I'll just Governor-elect Pillen's already said it. That's something he wants to, to dig into. And these are, not, these are not easy issues. These are hard issues because you know, that, that by itself, education, we have a responsibility there that has to be funded. Um, but I also believe that it can be funded efficiently and um, we should look at it because I think that we've gotten to this place where uh, the property taxes are too high. And so by way of extension and logic, that means our spending is too high. So we need to look at the spending. So that's, that's, a, that, that's my own opinion. Like I said, Governor-elect Pillen has already said it publicly, that's something he wants to dig into. Um, you know, Governor Ricketts, <laughs> never to be outdone, Governor Ricketts has done an incredible job. He, that, what, what he and the legislature now, so Senator Linehan, and um, you know, I, I won't get in naming names, that, that whole legislature, they passed what is now the largest property tax relief package in the state's history. By, by providing what's called the refundable income tax credit. Um, and, and, you know, I won't get in. I, I, if you want to, we can go into the technicalities of that, the difference between the credit, the difference between the property tax credit relief fund and the refundable income tax credit. I mean, I, obviously I know a lot about that stuff too, but uh, the bottom line is that there's been a lot of work done on property tax relief and Nebraskans are starting. We've always had it, but property taxes have increased greater than the relief could keep up. Uh, that has changed in recent years, and that refundable income tax credit, uh, that's a big deal. And I think that the next governor and the next legislature are going to um, go even further in addressing property taxes. And again, I'm not, I'm not uh, planning to be a part of that, um, but insofar as I pay property taxes, I'm really interested in it. <laughs>
So correct me if I'm wrong here, Tony, because uh, I could have my wires crossed, but I remember reading an article a while back where Governor Ricketts um, came out and said, this particular aspect, this particular credit, and I can't remember which one it was, is being underused. Is that what you're referring to here? Yeah, the refundable income tax credit. Um, it's not so there. Uh, yeah, I don't. It's hard to not get into the technicalities. There are different uh, tax regimes. So there's a sales tax in Nebraska, and the law states that for every transaction, there's a certain sales tax that has to be collected. Sales or use tax. I'm not going to get into that, but yeah. so that that's one way. There's an income tax when you derive an income. You know, Uncle Sam and the state takes a little bit of your money because you earned an income. It's called an income tax. <laughs> you know, incidentally, I don't necessarily have to love these taxes. I just hate that idea, but that's the law, you know, and that's my job. I have to uphold the law. And this is, it's as old as it's, you know, 50, 60 years old, 70 years old, whatever it is. We've had an income tax for a long time, but people need to remember that there's a sales tax, tax on sales, there's a tax on income, and there's a tax on property. So, to provide property tax relief, the legislature and the governor passed a refundable income tax credit. So two different regimes. If you paid this property tax, you can receive a tax credit on your income tax for property taxes paid. And I think that that's new for a lot of people because it's the first time in history it's been done. Um, and so the uptake has taken some time. Um, that has improved. That's improved immensely. Uh, people have, this is brand new. So we're in the second year of this particular uh, tax program. Uh, and people have three years to file backwards in arrears for their income taxes. And so as people are learning more, they can go back and claim for year one and year two. And next year will be year three. And in year three, people will be able to go back and claim all the way back to year one. And so, uh, so yeah, I, we, we did a news conference, Governor Ricketts, myself, and uh, my colleague, the property tax administrator here, Ruth Sorensen in Nebraska. Uh, we've done news conferences. We've done outreach. And so those numbers are, are getting a lot better. And the fact that you heard it makes me very happy <laughs> uh, because we have to – people have some money coming back. They have to claim it, though. Sure. Yeah, I remember – I think it was on News Channel Nebraska where I read it. So yeah. um, in, on that same note, though, Tony, when you – see all these different ideas being thrown around to help address property taxes. Which one do you see as the most promising? Which one are you most excited about? Yeah, I, that's hard because back in the day, I thought that what we did, so in 2007, 2008, I thought what we did was, you know, I, I did express on the floor that it's not perfect. In fact, I said it on the floor of the legislature that, hey, we do need to look at spending, but, but this is this is good. It's tax relief. Um so I, I don't, I'm not confident enough to say what the silver bullet is. So I think the right answer is all of the above. We do have to get a handle on spending, okay? When we have spending um, to the liking of the people, and so that's going to be different in different parts of the state. You know, certain, you know, there are school districts all over the state. And so those particular school districts have to determine if their expenditure level is correct or not. And that happens through the school boards. But I am convinced that the people who elect those school boards are not aware how much those school boards are spending or how little. I guess there are probably some cases where it's little, although I don't, I can't imagine there are many of those. So 
that has to become part of our policy, the spending that necessitates the property tax. In terms of providing relief, I think we should do all of the above. That's just my own opinion. Um, as a tax commissioner, you know, I'm not going to be the tax commissioner much longer, but as, as a tax commissioner, I just I have to enforce whatever it is the legislature and the governor do. So whatever the law gets passed, that's what I'm in, enforcing and implementing. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's just I have a different viewpoint on this because I've been both a senator and an executive branch official. Uh, I, we'll put it a different way. I'm never going to say no to tax relief. And I don't think anyone should. That's just my own opinion. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, Tony, I know we're coming up on time here. So if you would uh, give the folks who are listening and watching an idea of where they can learn more about you, Guardian Angels, the whole gamut. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be able to advertise Guardian Angels because I am still officially the tax commissioner. So I just, if folks want to see that, if you want to learn more about me, um, just type it into Google. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff out there and some of it's good and some of it's bad. Um, but my name's Tony Fulton. I'm from Nebraska. I love it in Nebraska. And, um, and you know, John, this is, I, I've actually listened to some of your other podcasts on CEO sit downs. This is a great podcast. So I hope people who are listening to this, here's what they could do. They could share it. You can get it on Spotify so you can share it on your Spotify account. Um, y'all are listening to this. If you got something out of it, you ought to share it. That's what, that's what I'll do with this little portion of time. Thank you, Tony. Somewhere I are down the line, that. John, maybe I can advertise some other things, but, but for now I'm not in the advertising mode, um, except for your podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And hopefully here soon you will be in that mode. So, um, yeah. thank you, Tony, for giving me some of your time today. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. You bet. Take care. Whether you allowed us to keep you company on your ride home from the office, during your workout, or as you were getting ready for the day, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this conversation. Be sure to subscribe and follow CEO Sit Downs on whatever podcast platform you use, and I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review, as it helps others find the podcast in the future. And if today's episode called to mind a friend or a family member who you think would enjoy today's conversation, go ahead and share this episode with them. I would certainly appreciate it, and hopefully they will too. Thanks again for listening. And may you have a pleasant day wherever you may be.